Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about what it will take to save America, Charles Barkley for president, uh, what it will take religious freedom and a Polish-Canadian pastor, and fight like Ron DeSantis, that is. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Over this past weekend, I uh, was invited to speak at a conference. It was a relatively small conference and it was a... Um, very um, highly informed, highly educated, just kind of a, a very activist group that uh, met. And what I was asked to speak about is essentially most people there speaking were, had military background, had a very special uh, military experiences and training. I was just talking about the political situation in America and how do we move, how do we go forward um, as America and, and to save America in light of what's happening in this country. So I want to mention to you what I took from that conference, both from the comments other people made, as well as from, it was actually my husband and I spoke together, which was a first, and it was fun. But what I took away from that, what I want to share with you today, there are many, many people in this country, literally thousands of people, millions of people, concerned about what's going to happen to our country, concerned about the direction of our country, concerned about the fact that the Marxists seem to have taken control of our government, uh, that we have basically 75 million plus Americans who voted for Donald Trump really don't have representation in Washington, D.C., that we have a leftist, Marxist leftist agenda bulldozing its way through the Congress and headed to the president's desk. So what do we do? And that was a lot of the, like, what is it we actually do about this? I want to mention my, my kind of three points, my overarching themes I suggest people think about in relation to essentially what do we do. Uh, one is this, or let me just say the three and then I'll tell you about them. I'm I want to talk about courage, focus, and tenacity. On the subject of courage, in this time, it has become, because the left-wing media echoes everything that the Democrat Party puts out as its you know, talking points, as the agenda, as a narrative, is becoming increasingly difficult or scary, really, for people to speak out. They, they don't want to be labeled a racist or a xenophobe or a homophobe or some other phobe or some other na or a hater or a bigot. And so the efforts of the left to silence, just silence the right-wing message is really quite overwhelming. It takes courage to speak out. I'm going to talk today a little bit about Ron DeSantis in Florida. He's a brave one speaking out. Charles Barkley, uh, the very famous former basketball player, now commentator, enormously consequential and brave remarks he made over the weekend. But I want to say this quality of courage means, among many things, you have to have courage to move forward and say and do the things that are right, even if you don't know how it's going to come out. Many times when we were, our kids were growing up, my husband would talk to them about you know, Joseph uh, of the Old Testament being dropped in the pit. You know, we all know because we read the Old Testament Bible stories. Now we know how it ended. He was rescued. He ended up literally saving that part of the world from a, a famine uh, because of the, the uh, you know, the seven years of plenty and seven years of famine whole story. Joseph really saved the world, but he didn't know that was coming in his life when he was in the pit. He might have been thinking, why in the world, has, this is so unfair, God has forsaken me, but he kept on moving forward. We've talked about George Washington. He did not know at Valley Forge, on his knees in the snow, with overwhelming numbers of revolutionary war, uh, uh, enormous numbers of British troops, his kind of straggly, many without shoes, many untrained in military ways, his troops standing up for America, fighting for the revolution, and the revolution were facing enormous odds. 
George Washington, that famous painting of him kneeling in the snow by his horse, praying for God's protection and guidance. He didn't know how it would come out, but he knew the right thing to do. Same with Abraham Lincoln. He did not know when he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, did not know how that things were going to come out. He didn't know if eventually there would be an end to the Civil War, a saving of the Union, and a saving of the Union far improved because we had ended the stain of slavery. Courage requires you do the right thing and say the right thing, even when you're not sure how it's going to come out. You might feel even threatened about the question of how it's going to come out. That's what courage means. So the one among the first thing, among the three things patriots need today, patriots at every level of our country, every age, every background, everyone who wants to be involved in the fight to hold on to and sustain America in the midst of the dangerous place that we are in this country, courage. Number two, I use the word focus. So a lot of us read a lot of news and we you know, understand the stories, we see what's happening in the border, we see what's happening on you know, dozens of issues and we can get overwhelmed and we come home maybe after a day's work or maybe your spouse comes home after working and you're sitting talking and you're at the dinner table and just everything is so overwhelming and there's this issue and this issue and that's where the need for focus comes in. Everybody can do something. And as they say, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. At this very small conference I was um, at on Saturday where I spoke and attended and sat, I sat next to a woman at our, uh, the table we were at who just basically had said in her little corner of the world where she lived in a town, a city in Texas, she's organized people to do door knocking on behalf of city council candidates. That's her plan. Her plan is to work to get a city council uh, in her town where, I didn't get her permission to tell the story, so I'm being careful about her, but in her city, getting a city council that will represent the interests of conservatism, uh, of uh, retaining the character, the quality of her city, of standing up for conservative values. So she's formed a group. The deal is you join the group, nobody gets to join and just whine and complain. You join because you're willing to knock on doors. And they knock on doors, they get a candidate they're, they're in favor of, they knock on doors, they knock themselves out. Other people at this conference, I know, because I knew quite a few of them there, uh, created some a Tea Party group, Tea Party-like group. And they hold meetings and they keep people informed and they send newsletters out, they keep the public informed. Other people work really hard on election, on, on candidate, uh, for candidates, for state rep, state senate, U.S. Congress, U.S. Senate. People get focused and they pick one thing and they knock themselves out. Another woman I happen to know who is there, she dedicates herself nearly entirely to awakening the education establishment, the education administration in Texas um, about the dangers of many of the left-wing ideological ideas that have slithered their way into the public schools in Texas. She is a researcher. She's a writer. She goes down to the Texas Board of Education. She shows up at meetings. She writes pieces explaining things. It is really, really, it's her challenge. It's her thing. She knows she can do. So for the people who want to fight, the patriots who want to fight, it is courage without knowing how it's going to come out. It is focus. Pick something you can do and stick with it. And the third one is tenacity, that quality just you know, sticking with it. Right now, for example, in the state of Georgia, and I have more information about Georgia later, in the state of Georgia, they passed what was a, you know, a pretty good election integrity law. It does not have in it all the things that conservative activists wanted in order to actually assure fair elections, actually assure election integrity. It has a lot of good stuff, but not all of it. But because the left is so determined to fight against election integrity, the left is determined to perpetuate and enable vote fraud and election fraud, they have gotten hysterical over this Georgia law. The Georgia law, I mean, when I tell you more about it later, there is nothing even remotely unfair or controversial in this law. But the left is so capable, so skilled, because of years of practice at taking a completely innocuous piece of legislation, a, a completely innocuous fact and contorting it into something outrageous and, and, and heinous and ugly, and then convincing people to get worked up into a lather over what they have, the lies they have spread. 
So in Georgia, very reasonable election integrity law passes, and you have major corporations threatening to leave Georgia. You have the Major League Baseball organization pulling the All-Star game out of Georgia. You have Delta Airlines making ugly comments about leaving Georgia. You have these corporate fools buying into the, the uh, orchestration of the lies that the left is putting out about this election integrity legislation. And you have uh, the, some people in the public worked up into a tizzy also because they think they're informed when they read the left-wing lies about the election integrity legislation. So on the quality of tenacity, you have, for example, Donald Trump came out um, and he's, he was urging people to, you know what, say, uh, while they're doing this, since George is doing this and calling for boycotts, um, you know, why don't we Americans, the real patriots, why don't we boycott Coke? The company Coca-Cola. Why don't we boycott Major League Baseball? Don't watch their games. Just don't watch. Cut off, you know, the viewership. Cut off the watching of Major League Baseball. Cut off the buying, the purchasing of Coca-Cola products. They're not good for you anyway. But cut off buying those. And don't fly Delta Airlines. And what I want to say about this is it's great in the heat of the moment for people like Donald Trump and many other people to speak up and say, you know what? This is outrageous. You're falsely attacking the state of Georgia. There is nothing wrong with their election integrity law. So therefore, you know, we're going to boycott your company. And the boycotts last for like a week, maybe two. And then you get tired of it and you kind of want your Coke and you kind of want to fly on Delta. And the truth is you kind of like baseball. And so you go back to giving money. That's what you're doing. You're supporting when you buy their products, watch their games, participate in any way in supporting of Delta, Coke, and other organizations, but Delta and Coke and Major League Baseball, you're telling them that you really didn't mean it. That, you know, yeah, you were outraged for like 24 hours or seven days, but hey, you know, march on. Those companies and other ones that are on the bandwagon lying to the American people, claiming that Georgia's election law is racist, will only change their behavior if there's a sustained hit on their economic bottom line. Only gonna change their ways, only gonna wake up when they recognize, wow, I actually don't have, I've lost customers. People won't fly on Delta. People won't watch our games. People won't come and to, uh, to the seat, to the, you know, to the in-person games. They won't watch on television. When their bottom line is hurt, they will wake up. Nothing before that. There were also the, these ideas um, of ways to fight back these are things you can do without leaving your home. You can do these in the comfort of your own home, as they say. Uh, I want to urge another one. So Trump, is, Trump has a whole long list of them. Coke, Delta Airlines, Citigroup, Major League Baseball, um, J.P. Morgan, all of them. I'm getting the idea that if you really want to fight back, you have to have the quality of tenacity. Stick with it. It can't be just for three days. And there are other ways people are fighting back against this leftist, because what you're really seeing those companies do, I mean, there may be some leftists on the boards of those companies who actually believe in the cause of the American left, but a lot of those people in those companies, running those companies, the senior executives, they're not radical leftists. They're not AOC. They are people who want their company to succeed. And so when they hear pressure from the American left, you should get out of Georgia. You should pull the Major League Baseball game, uh, all-star game out of Georgia. You should condemn this vote law, uh, Delta Airlines. If those officials keep hearing from the left and never hear from you, never hear from conservatives, it's easier for them to continue to salute to the Marxist American left. The left fights all day long, every day, on every level in American society. If the conservatives want to fight back, stand up for their country, you cannot do it on a temporary basis, and you can't do it just a little bit. We've got to be as tenacious as the left is. Now, as to the corporations that are engaging in this idiocy, I don't really think the message of the conservatives should be, you know, take our side, you know, stand up and say, greatest election law ever. I don't care if they say that. The, the corporations need to just be told, stay in your own lane. Shut up. Produce your product. Produce your service. Make a better flight for your customers. Make a better product. Make a better service. Do your thing in your lane and stay out of politics. 
That is the only answer we have in this country is to push the corporate America, punish them for sur surrendering to and saluting to the left, punish them for doing that, encourage them to be neutral, encourage them to just do their job and to say next time the leftist mob shows up on their Twitter feed or at their corporate, their shareholder meeting or anywhere else, encourage those leaders to say, you know what? We are Coke. All we do is produce good products. We don't play politics. Not playing in that sandbox. That's your sandbox. That's their sandbox. Our sandbox here is producing a good quality product for Coca-Cola or Delta or any other airline. But I'm getting at when you want to be an activist, because I can't tell you how many people, my friends, stop me, email me, call me and say, what are we going to do? I'm so panicked. I'm so panicked. You can do things and you can do things from the comfort of your own home, but you have to be relentless about them. You can't just do them for a day and give up. So fight against the companies that are idiotically boycotting Georgia over a law that is not in the slightest racist or unfair or in any, in any way likely to stop any legitimate voter from voting. Why the left doesn't like Georgia's election law is it just may stop illegal voters from voting. I don't mean just people who are legally in America. People with no right to vote in Georgia may just get stopped from their next effort, next attempt to vote uh, because of Georgia's law. Other ways, the GOP is even finding a little bit of backbone about this. There was an idea floated about the GOP in Washington. You know, there's a federal law of all really bizarre things, a federal law that carves out Major League Baseball from our federal antitrust laws. And so there's an effort in Washington that some GOP senators say, well, let's repeal that. Why, why should the Major League Baseball have an exemption to the antitrust laws? They're talking about that. I don't know if they do a darn thing, but at least they're talking about it, floating the idea. And that's another way to kind of, as they say, hit them where it hurts. But the idea where you're just going just gonna to put up with what these, these corporations are doing, just let them do what they're uh, doing. And um, oh, by the way, in Georgia, there were some of the uh, state GOP uh, leaders, and I think it was even the GOP House, that the, um, the, I mean, the, the, Texas, the Georgia State House saying, you know what, why do we sell Coke products here? Why don't we ban all Coke products? Or if you're a GOP senator in Georgia, state senator or state rep, ban Coca-Cola from your office. Stand up and fight, because the only way we're going to win this battle in America is have courage, regardless if you know what the outcome will be, have courage, stand up, fight, be focused, pick the way you can do something and go for it and be tenacious, be determined, don't let up because the left in this country will never, ever, ever give up on their agenda of the destruction of America as founded. They will never give it up. The defenders of this country, the defenders of the Republic, the defenders of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are on our side of the aisle and we need to be fully engaged right now, not sitting back, rubbing our hands together and say, well, you know, by 2022, sure seems likely we could maybe take back the House. If H.R. 1 passes, that will not be happening. Get in the fight now on every single level. Encourage one last huge way you can do this from the comfort of your own home. Encourage your state legislatures. If you live in a Republican majority state, a red state, encourage your state senators, your state house members and your governors to be proactive in pushing back against Washington. Urge them to tell Washington, HR1 is going nowhere in our state. We don't care if you pass it. We don't care if, if, um, if um, I always want to call him Obama, Biden. Oh, Biden signs it. Even if Biden signs it, it, we're not following it. Push back on HR1. Begin to use the nullification process. Urge your state reps and your state senators to say, we in this state, we are not following any federal laws that in any way infringe on the Second Amendment to the Constitution because we honor the Constitution. There's a whole host of ways your state reps and state senators can stand up, not just by passing election integrity laws, but by letting Washington know now, draw your line in the sand now, we're not doing the things that you have in mind in Washington, D.C., Marxist Democrat Party, that are inconsistent with the Constitution because we're standing up for the American people. The left has to feel the pushback from the conservatives now, right now. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. So I'll try to start the show. I want to talk about Charles Barkley. Um, any of you who um, 
follow sports at all. Charles Barkley is very famous, of course, uh, you know, a f wonderful, famous basketball player, kind of witty, too. Uh, you know, he's in a lot of commercials. He, he's just actually, he always kind of strikes me as he's probably a fun guy to know, just, just a, a um, fun, entertaining kind of guy. But he said something um, over the weekend, and Matt the Wonderful, I want to tell you that um, this is actually clip um, three that I sent you that, because this is a, this is on air. Charles Barkley gave the left a little dose of truth. Shared that news, how painful it was. Yeah. But the one thing I took out of that piece was, man, I think most white people and black people are great people. I really believe that in my heart, but I think our system is set up where our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are designed to make us not like each other so they can keep their grasp of money and power. They divide and conquer. I truly believe in my heart most white people and black people are awesome people, but we're so stupid following our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. And their only job is, hey, let's make these people not like each other. We don't live in their neighborhoods. We all got money. Let's make the whites and blacks not like, like each other. Let's make rich people and poor people not like each other. Uh, let's, let's scramble the middle class. I truly believe that in my heart. Okay, you have to understand how hysterical that kind of statement makes the American left. Charles Barkley is speaking truth about America, what I stand for on this show, truth about America. The fact is, as I've said countless times, the vast majority of Americans of every race, ethnicity, national origin, and skin color are good and noble people who try very hard every day to love their neighbor as themselves, to treat each other as respect, with respect and dignity. This is true, the vast majority of Americans are good people. And Charles Barkley hit it right in the head when he's saying basically it's the politicians who try to make us hate each other. Now, I don't think that the two political parties actually have equal blame. To me, what has happened on the American left, now the Democrat Marxist left, is they have found race and race baiting to be a very successful tactic in bringing themselves more political power uh, by continually, perpetually trying to divide America into silos. It is the modus operandi of the Democrat Party. But for Charles Barkley to say that takes a lot of courage. I'll tell you something else about courage, one of my qualities I'm saying we have to have. I've heard people say, you know, who uh, have a big following, well, you know, if I say it, I mean, I'm going to get tons of pushback because everyone knows me, you know, and it's easier. Why don't these un like unknowns say it? Well, the truth is Charles Barkley probably will get a lot of pushback, probably already has, but he knows what he believes in. He knows what is true and he speaks from the heart. He had a follow-up little uh, blurb he did on YouTube, which I think Matthew Wonderful is clip two. If you can play that, this is Charles Barkley following up further on the same point. Listen, Deshaun Jackson, Steven Jackson, Nick Cannon, Ice Cube, man, what the hell are y'all doing? Like, y'all want racial equality. We all do. I don't understand how insulting another group helps our cause. And the only person called y'all on it was Kareem. We can't allow black people to be prejudiced also, especially if we're asking for white folks to respect us, give us economic opportunity and things like that. I'm so disappointed in these men, but I don't understand how you beat hatred with more hatred. That stuff should never come up in your vocabulary and it should never come up in your heart. I don't understand it. I'm never gonna accept it. And I'm asking you guys, I'm begging you guys, man. You guys are famous, you got a platform. We gotta do better, man. I want allies. I don't wanna alienate anybody. And to take shots at the, the, the Jewish race, the white race, I just don't like it because it's not right. And I had to call them on it because it's really, it's really been on my heart. Okay, I don't actually mean the title of this segment, Charles Barkley for President, but we need someone who thinks like him. Someone who's willing to say, this is hogwash. It's hogwash for anyone to be out there and painting broad, big messages against some other race or ethnicity. 
And you have to understand how deeply the left has embedded this narrative. I hate the word narrative, but embedded this way of thinking into American society. They've embedded this thinking, which is what gave rise to the Black Lives Matter movement, to the extreme anger and racial tension in this country. A lot of it is fed by what Charles Barkley is describing, that people will get out there, famous people making statements, essentially tearing down everybody else, some other group other than their own because of their skin color. He's saying, and you know, I say it in different words, how do we ever get to unity if everything we do and think is based on the silos we have assigned to each other? How do you get to unity? And I love his acknowledgement. The truth of the matter is the vast majority of Americans of every race, skin color, ethnicity, and national origin are good and noble people who try very hard to treat their neighbors with dignity and respect, who do not judge their neighbors by the color of their skin, but rather by the content of their character. Moving on from this and talking about how the left just has, the left goes to racism as the argument in every single context imaginable. Every issue they want to get done, every issue they want to have the American people take their side, they instantly jump to making anyone who disagrees with them calling that person a racist. It is the tactic that allows the left, if you just accuse the other side of being racist, then the left never has to explain the virtues of the policy at question, the reason their ideas or their policy or their way of looking at something is a better thing than the other sides. The left never has to do that if they can call the other side racist because instantly what happens to most people is they just shut down they don't want to be called racist and secondly many other people who might have thought about speaking up thinking well i'm not getting out there now because i don't want to be called that and for the people the most ignorant and frankly unfortunately a large mass of americans easily fall under the spell of the left as they continually spread false allegations of racism and use that racism label. There are many people, it, the left wouldn't use this tactic if it didn't work. They use the tactic because there are people who just go along with and assume that whatever the left says is driven by racism must be driven by racism. I'm gonna give you two examples as to what a better country would be if we would stop doing this. One example has to do with the border. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Democrat Congresswoman from New York, uh, you know, Okay, I won't even say, I'm just going to say, Democrat member of Congress from New York, you know, a, a clearly a, a, an avowed member of the Democrat Socialist Party, radical Marxist, radical socialist, very, very, you can't find the left-wing policy she has not embraced and endorsed and pushed. She gave some commentary about the overwhelming mess at our southern border because President Biden has abandoned the southern border and allowed just masses of people to flood in. And so we have masses of unaccompanied children. We've had people in the show talking about the idea. This is not happening organically. It's happening because the Biden administration has signaled from the time of their campaign to families throughout Central America, you know, we're gonna be wide open when I'm president. Everybody come on in, no one's gonna be stopped. So you have masses of children flooding the border. You have, I mean, it's a complete disaster. It's like not having a border. I want to play ALC's comments and then we'll talk about what she said. Well, first of all, just gut check, stop. Anyone who's using the term surge around you consciously is trying to invoke a militaristic frame. And that's a problem because these, this is not a surge. These are children and they are not insurgents and we are not being invaded which by the way, is a white supremacist idea, philosophy, the idea that if an other is coming in the population, that this is like an invasion of who we are. Okay, I, I wanted to play that, even though it just, you, I, I know actually I've had a lot of um, notes from listeners saying, please don't play her anymore, I can't stand her voice. But I wanna make the point about what she's doing. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a Democrat socialist. She's a Marxist. She, she's never met a left-wing policy she couldn't get behind. And she understands exactly what's happening at the southern border. She understands the abandonment of the border, the encouragement of people to cross our border into America, the overwhelming of our border uh, facilities, are, are just having overwhelming number of nearly voting age young men, 15 to 17 year old men, pouring over our border, 
She understands why the Biden team is doing this. She understands it's part of a mission, a tactic, a plan to overcome America with a millions of new illegal aliens who will enter our country, make their way somewhere and end up in a short amount of time being a voting age and being the one, the recipients of some new amnesty policy that her party, the Democrat party has in mind. What we're watching at the Southern border is not, just did not happen out of thin air. It is a contrived, intentional plan by the American left to overwhelm the border, to overwhelm our system in America, to spread these people throughout America and allow them to become citizens when they can finally have, the, the Democrats can have the votes to do a new amnesty. They will do it and they believe they will have purchased, they will have purchased a permanent Democrat majority voting base. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez understands this. But because the Democrats can't say that to you, they can't tell you that's the reason for their border, their failure to enforce the border, they can't say to you that they actually have a mission of the radical Marxist takeover of America, the destruction of America as founded, the, the replacement of America and the concept from our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution with a radical, tyrannical, collectivist government in Washington. They can't announce that to you because then maybe you wouldn't vote for them. They resort to what you just heard her do, which is to lie to the American people about the, what the real reason is why the Republican Party, why the conservatives, why the patriots in America are so concerned about the southern border. Patriots are concerned about the southern border because we want to actually be a sovereign nation that has a border, because we want to have an orderly immigration policy, because we want to have an orderly process at the southern border, because we want to enforce our border and decide based on our laws and our policies which people can come here. That's what every other country does in the world. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez resorts, as she does over and over, but this is a, such a good example of what she was saying. She calls people who are concerned about the southern border white supremacists because she knows that term invokes fear in the hearts and minds of black Americans. Not all black Americans. There are plenty of Americans wide awake wide awake to what is happening at the southern border. Americans of every skin color, race, and ethnicity, wide awake to what the left is up to. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uses that term, white supremacist, because she knows there's a certain percentage of our population, of black Americans, white Americans, uh, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, who will actually think maybe she's right. Who will actually think, wow, I guess the people who really want to have a, a southern border with a border that we enforce are really just white supremacists. And she even goes to her language, she loves using the other. And she's trying to say the reason people don't want the border uh, overrun is because it happens as of now that the people pouring over our southern border are, don't happen to be white or not, are not majority white. She's using the fact of who happens to be coming over our border lying, contorting it, calling people concerned about that as white supremacists, and she does it, again, my friends, because it works. Because for a certain segment of Americans, when she invokes the word racism, when she invokes the words white supremacism, she is buying off their support for the left-wing view for the Democrat Party, and she is utterly skipping over failing to acknowledge, failing to address, failing to admit what's actually happening at the border. She's not willing and she doesn't have the courage uh, or of her convictions or she's too savvy to know that she should do it. She doesn't have the courage to say, yeah, here's what we're doing. We're letting the southern border be overrun. That's right. We are failing to enforce it. We're letting tons of young people in, very close to voting age. She tries to characterize any concern about that as racism. And she also goes off in her, I, I, I try to think of a good word for it in preparing for today's show, and I couldn't even get to one. Militaristic frame is her term. But she's criticizing the term used, a surge. There's a surge at the southern border. Well, I mean, surge is obviously, it's, it's, it's a 
it's a descriptive word. When you see, you know, tens of thousands of people marching in columns from Central and South America up through Mexico and in, across our southern border, that's a surge. It's a caravan. It, it's, it's a march. But she's trying to pick on words that she thinks maybe she can contort into something alarming or something to deceive you. And I want to, I, I could spend more time just venting about Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. But the point in this context of this show today is this. We have to be brave enough to not be silenced by the accusations of people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's trying to say anyone who wants an enforceable southern border is a white supremacist. That is her message. And there will be people, members of state houses, state representatives, state senators, people in Congress who listen to her words, recognize the media will echo her words or, and use similar words and conclude it's just a little too scary to speak up about border enforcement. You have to understand, failure to enforce the border, failure to enforce the border is one of the three steps in the plan the American left has to destroy our country. You don't enforce the border, you eviscerate election integrity by HR1, and then you pass massive amnesty so everybody's in, everybody's registered, everybody's voting in a mass chaos they have created and this is the path the left is on. It's nothing less, and she knows it. But she gets some headway, especially if we're pushed around by or pushed into silence or timidity, because what she's saying might make us a little bit afraid of being called a name by her. We have to be tough. One other thing, I'm not going to talk that much today um, about the trial ongoing in Minnesota. I'm going to get on it another day, but... Um, Oh, by the way, one last quick thing about Georgia. I do want to mention this. So in Georgia, all these corporations claiming that they are you know, taking a righteous stand, they're standing up because uh, after all they have, you know, people are just um, you know, outraged by these unfair election laws and you can't have voter ID. Voter ID is a terrible thing. Voter ID is just a tactic or a tool to, to suppress the black vote, which by the way is an insulting argument itself. But I sent something to Matt the Wonderful, this chart. These are, um, these are charts or studies that were done, uh, uh, polls that were done about how people in America, Democrats and Republicans, what they think about the idea of having uh, voter ID laws. And I don't know, Matt, if you have those ready, the Associated Press. Yeah, okay. Let's just leave this right here. Um, actually, let me get to the other one. Do the other one first, if you would, please. Okay. This poll finds, okay, this is an amazing thing. Associated Press, probably killing them to admit it. But this has Democrats are in blue on the bottom. Um, and I, I would take it back. Favor, wh whoever favors thing is in blue, uh, and then the orange is opposed, and then the you know, gray is they have no opinion. But the point of this is saying this. The argument in Georgia is that Georgia passed an unfair election integrity law because they're requiring voter ID. But understand what this polling is telling you. As they polled Americans, and the AP poll is not going to be a poll that in any way favors Republicans. If anything, it probably favors Democrats. But here's AP poll. All adults in America, 72% is the bottom square, the bottom one. 72% agree, of all adults agree, that voters should have to provide a photo ID to vote. So we're nearly at three quarters of America, but yet, Delta is going to leave Georgia. Major League Baseball checked out. I mean, these, it's idiotic, but this is how much these corporations get pushed around. So 72% of all adults say, of course, you should have to have voter ID. Uh, and that is 91% of Republicans who actually like law and order. And even a slim majority, 56% of Democrats say this. Same thing. Of course, you have to have voter ID. So... Explain to me, please, why it is that when Georgia passes a voter ID law, the entire corporate America just gets hysterical and stomps out of the state and complains and you know, tries to take a moral high ground. Truly, truly astonishing. Other, other way in which America gets... So there's nothing racist about Georgia's law. Someone ought to tell these corporate people who are making decisions on behalf of their companies that they're looking foolish because the American people are actually with them. We actually want 
voter ID. One last quick thing on race I want to mention. We're going to go into the George Floyd trial some other day this week, or that is the George Floyd was the victim, the, the trial, the police officer involved, uh, Derek Chauvin. But I want to just paint this, uh, we're on this topic of how much the left uses race. And, you know, you had Charles Barkley saying, hey, come on, you know, the vast majority of Americans are good and noble people, vast majority of people he knows, white and black, good people, stop making everything about race. If you had to summarize Barclays saying, stop making everything about race, very, very true. Uh, same in Georgia with that law. Well, even on the case in the prosecution now happening in Minnesota, there's growing recognition that while the officer involved, Derek Chauvin, used a tactic that the American people saw on George Floyd, had him pinned down, knee on his neck, excruciating to watch, you know, cringeworthy to watch, alarming, all of those things. Why did we Americans just give in and surrender to the left-wing narrative, the narrative that always benefits, benefits the Democrat Party, that lives and breathes to spread the notion that America is full of racists. Why did we just give in when the Democrats said and the media said, oh, this incident in Minneapolis is about race? Is it enough that the officer was white and the victim was black? I mean, the other officers present at the scene were not white. And Nothing that has been uncovered about the case shows or indicates that this incident occurred because of race, because the officer was white and the victim was black. But this allowed, the fa those facts allowed the left to pounce on this incident and really give rise to the massive riots that tore up America last summer. And I am not, by what I'm saying, defending this officer. I think I did read, as it turns out, the tactic he used to restrain this guy who wouldn't get in the back of the car when they told him to, of knee on the neck, was apparently permissible in that police department at that time, that they'd been trained that this was an acceptable tactic. Now, it's, it's horrible to watch. I've had police officers on the show who have said, you know, actually most police departments have outlawed that procedure except in extreme emergencies, you know, to, to protect an officer's life. But short of that, you're not supposed to use that procedure of knee on neck. And, but at the time, it was apparently permissible. So the jury in this case will decide whether Officer Chauvin's conduct was permissible or not under police procedures. They'll decide whether or not his conduct arises to the level of criminal conduct for which they should should uh, you know make a, find a conviction for for which they should convict him of the charges against him, and it's it's extremely good and important that this trial is happening. That it's really happening, kind of a national television. Everyone's watching it, and or many are watching it, and people are watching this kind of process as an American people. How do we process that kind of ugly video image we saw, and then what should be the reaction of the criminal justice system? What should be the uh, verdict for this jury to come to? And whether this officer uh, was, even if he was permitted by department policy, was the policy, did he need to do it in that instance? Did he fail to, uh, get, to stand up or release the defendant from that uh, knee, uh, that knee holding him down on his neck? Did he fail to release him when he should have? All sorts of questions will be asked, uh, will be explored by the case, by the prosecutor, by the defense. The jury will listen. The jury will come to a verdict. These are all wonderful things. My only point in raising this today is why do we let the left-wing Democrat media mob in this country tell us that this case was about race. What evidence is there? Is it enough just because the officer was white and the uh, victim was black? That just makes it about race? Because the fact is, it doesn't. And actually, throughout America, there's been polling when the incident first occurred, and then over time, polling in how the American people see this. And the more facts that come out, about, for example, that George Floyd, while still standing, not yet on the ground, still standing, said several times, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. 
he was referring to the fact he had a massive dose of fentanyl in his system, a lethal dose of fentanyl in his system. Those facts will come out. How much was in his system? How much is lethal? Where did he get it? Who gave it to him? Why did he have that much in his system? Did he know he had that much in his system? Did he know how, I mean, was he tricked in some way to get more in his system? A lot of facts will be explored. I hope they all come out in this trial. I am, I'm in favor of truth coming out. That's the goal. But I really want to say, just like Charles Barkley's trying to say, we, we cannot always revert to race as the explanation for everything. Unlike what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants you to do, she wants you to revert to race. Anyone who opposes are abandoning the borders, anyone who opposes open borders must be a white supremacist racist. This is the argument of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Charles Barkley does have it right. We have to stop assuming everything is about race. We have to stop uh, allowing the media and media figures and the, the loudmouths in our society to down to hurt our society, harm our society, cause us to believe that racism is much more rampant than it really is. And in this particular case, I don't know what the right outcome is. I don't know what the jury will do. But I do think all of us as Americans need to be wide awake to the reality that there is no evidence yet presented that the reason for this officer's conduct that day was because of skin color. And that has been used, the argument that it was because of skin color, has been used to further divide America, to cause Americans to be, uh, you know, to tolerate, to engage in the massive violence of last summer, to tolerate it. I mean, we've had so much flow from that. And wouldn't it have been better back then uh, if we had allowed our whole culture to absorb the facts of the case, all the facts, before we just went along with a left-wing narrative that race and, and racism was the only possible explanation. One last quick thing, and I'm very getting close out of time. We get, I will talk more about that story. Um, but there was a um, a pastor uh, in uh, Canada. He's a Polish by background. I mean, from the country of Poland, a Christian pastor whose church was invaded uh, by the uh, state, by the Canadian authorities uh, in Calgary. Um, that uh, was because they were on they were there about covid and they have i believe the rule in this place was they're permitted to have churches only 15 percent capacity one five 15 percent and they are um they have to socially distance and so he had police show up at his church service during passover uh, get uh, apparently wanting to come all the way in and and decide whether or not the people sitting in their pews uh, were complying with the, then the regulations they had, complying with masking and social distancing. And this uh, pastor, this is Canadian pastor Artur, Artur, or Artur, A-R-T-U, Artur Pulowski. As I say, Polish by background, Christian church in Calgary. And here's what he did when the Canadian authorities showed up at his church. Please get out. Get out of this property. Immediately get out. Okay. Get out of this property immediately. Out. I don't want to hear anything. Out of this property immediately. I don't want to hear a word. Out. Out. Out of this property immediately until you come back with a warrant. Out. 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 Out of this property immediately out. Immediately go out and don't come back. You understand? Nazis are not welcome here. Out. And don't come back without a warrant. Do not come back without a warrant. You understand that? You're not welcome here. Nazis are not welcome here. Can you imagine those psychopaths? <laughs> Passover, the holiest Christian festival in a year. And they're coming to intimidate Christians during the holiest festival? Unbelievable. What is wrong with those sick psychopaths? It's beyond me. <laughs> okay. You can hardly watch that guy without laughing a little bit. On a serious note, as we've talked about many times on this show, there are people greatly concerned that the way governments around this world responded to COVID was to put in place restrictions on people on businesses, on churches, on public gatherings that 
people, you know, tolerated in the very first few weeks and thought, well, you know, maybe this really is, a, 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 you know, something that we just have to kind of huddle at home for until further notice. But more and more people are starting to say, wait a minute, you know, this is a, uh, the, you know, this is a beginning to become a question of First Amendment liberties, of, of the right of churches to gather, especially we had in America. That was Canada, uh, by the way, I circled it. That was Calgary Street Church in Alberta, Canada. But that video went viral because, and some in the congregation just went standing there uh, taping it on their phone and putting it up. But I think people are looking for that spirit of just stand up, just say no, just get in the fight, just say we're not going to stop having church services and we're not having church invaded by the authorities to measure the distance between people seated and figure out whether or not uh, people have masks on, are the masks sufficient, are they properly completely covering the face? These are people just saying, enough, we want our freedom back. I don't have much more to say about that, except for I think there, that, that did go viral. And a lot of people kind of kind of happy to see that spirit of spunk. There were other videos I could show you. Uh, churches invaded in England, uh, all over the world, uh, because Easter Sunday was a Sunday when many people kind of said, you know what, I want to go back to church. And the churches wanted their people back. And they wanted to have in-church services uh, honoring Easter. So um, anyway, that was that was a um, again Pastor Artur Palowski uh, at the Calvary Street Church in Alberta. Okay, one last quick thing, and when I talk about the idea that we have to be fighters, there has there you know among personalities have emerged in this last year or so, and people are starting to recognize that because of how strident and Marxist and leftist. The American government is, there's just more of a need for people to stand up and recognize now is the time to stand up for our country. Now is the time to stand up for our rights. Now is the time to call out things that are happening in Washington. But, and so one figure who's really emerged and is uh, clearly on the short, many people's short list and conservative side, uh, besides Donald Trump, but uh, for the presidential uh, candidacy in 2024 in the Republican Party is the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And I just want to tell you, I said, call this fight like Ron. When you start to see someone like Congressman Matt Gates, who is also from Florida, and Governor Ron DeSantis, and the media is on them, you know, uh, on them 24-7, always egging them on, always attacking, always criticizing, always finding some surreptitious way of getting after them. I want to show you what 60 Minutes did to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He's making a speech. The quick issue is that in Florida, as in other places, they're making plans for distribution of the COVID vaccine. So DeSantis and DeSantis has been one of the great governors, really solid, standing up for the rights of the people, very few restrictions related to COVID, very early lifted almost all restrictions, and their state is doing great. Their state is doing very well on COVID numbers, better than some states that are still shut down, locked down, masked up, and, and you know, sheltered in their at home. These are, this is a, uh, a state that has stood with the people in the right of freedom. So DeSantis had to make a plan, how you distribute this, um, uh, COVID vaccine. And this is first, uh, Matt, I think I uh, want to make sure I get these in the right. Uh, yeah, the first one I sent you, um, the first one of DeSantis is the first one to play. Yeah. Publix, as you know, donated $100,000 to your campaign, and then you rewarded them with the exclusive rights to distribute the vaccination. In so Palm first Beach. of all, that, what you're saying is wrong. How, how is that not pay to that, play? That's a fake narrative. I met with the county mayor, I met with the administrator, I met with all the folks at Palm Beach County, and I said, here's some of the options. We can do more drive-through sites, we can give more to hospitals, we can do the Publix. And they said, we think that would be the easiest thing for our residents. But Melissa McKinley, the county commissioner in the Glades, told us the governor never met with her about the Publix deal. The criticism is that it's pay to play, and it's governor. wrong, it's wrong, it's a fake narrative. I just disabused you of the narrative, and you don't care about the facts. Okay, why I am so excited. So you see what 16 Minutes is doing. DeSantis has proven the whole left-wing lockdown narrative is unnecessary. I mean, the left is after DeSantis in every way they can think of. You, you know, you had Biden previously talking about whether you have to have a, you know, special travel permission to go to Florida because he doesn't like their open, their, their policies about COVID. So back to this. 
This 60 Minutes reporter is what she's saying to DeSantis is you this there's a grocery chain in Florida called Publix, like P-U-B-L-I-X, and apparently it's very popular. She's saying to DeSantis, you awarded the contract to distribute the vaccines to Publix, to that particular supermarket chain, because they gave you money. And so she, she calls it. That lady is saying to him, isn't it pay to play? The accusation is pay to play. And what you just saw, that's what CNN took from the entire thing they filmed. Not CNN, excuse me, 60 Minutes. It's a 60 Minutes took when they stood there at that conference. DeSantis is speaking. There's other reporters there. They filmed the whole thing and they cut it down and 60 Minutes played what you just saw. Now let's hear what actually was said and you see how astonishingly duplicitous and dishonest 60 Minutes was in trying to characterize what DeSantis said. Play that last clip, please, Matt. So first of all, that, what you're saying is wrong. That's, that, that's a fake narrative. So first of all, when we did the, the first pharmacies that had it were CVS and Walgreens, and they had a long-term care mission. So they were going to the long-term care facilities. They got vaccine in the middle of December. They started going to the long-term care facilities the third week of December to do LTCs. So that was their mission. That was very important, and we trusted them to do that. As we got into January, we wanted to expand the distribution points. So yes, you had the counties, you had some drive-through sites, you had hospitals that were doing a lot, but we wanted to get it into communities more. So we reached out to other retail pharmacies, Publix, Walmart, obviously CVS and Walgreens had to finish that mission. And we said, we're gonna, we're gonna use you as soon as you're done with that. For the Publix, they were the first one to raise their hand, say they were ready to go. And you know what? We did it on a trial basis. I had three counties. I actually showed up that weekend and talked to seniors across four different publics. How was the experience? Is this good? Should you think this is the way to go? And it was 100% positive. So we expanded it and then folks liked it. And I can tell you, if you look at a place like Palm Beach County, they were kind of struggling at first in terms of the senior numbers. I went, I met with the county mayor, I met with the administrator, I met with all the folks at Palm Beach County and I said, here's some of the options. We can do more drive-through sites, we can give more to hospitals, we can do the publics, we can do this. They calculated that 90% of their seniors live within a mile and a half of a publics. And they said, we think that would be the easiest thing for our residents. So we did that and what ended up happening was you had 65 publics in Palm Beach. Palm Beach is one of the biggest counties, one of the most elderly counties We've done almost 75% of the seniors in Palm Beach. And the reason is because you have the strong retail footprint. So our uh, way has been multifaceted. It has worked. And we're also now very much expanding CVS and Walgreens now that they've completed the long-term care mission. Okay. Do you see the difference between what 60 Minutes tried to play and portray as the truth and what actually it was. People, these things, I mean, 60 Minutes, I don't think anyone's serious. No, seri no one takes 60 Minutes seriously except for leftists. But still, there are millions of them in this country who watch that 60 Minutes segment and they, they think that that 60 Minutes whiz-bang reporter somehow really got Ron DeSantis and really showed what a rotten guy he is. And the fact was, as he described, his office worked with numerous uh, retail outlets. They, they were going through other um, uh, organizations that were dispensing the uh, COVID vaccine. That he was working with the officials in, uh, in all those counties. I mean, and they, so they also, by the way, see other tricks 60 Minutes did. They say, they have him saying, I talked to officials and they find one person and say, oh, we talked to, you know, county commissioner so-and-so, whatever it was, some name, um, and, and they, they never heard from him as though disproving even the little segment they did play of his. And I, I really wanted to wrap up the show today by saying this. We really are in this country in a at least internal battle for the heart and soul of America, a battle for holding on to freedom in this country, holding on to the promises of the First Amendment, the promises of all the Constitution, of the declaration of the concept of a country rooted in liberty. And those who believe in that are in the battle against the left, the Marxist left in this country that has full on power in Washington, that is moving at lightning speed to do everything they can to destroy the potential for fair and honest elections. 
that is using their, the media to their benefit to, to portray anyone who challenges any of their uh, policies or tactics uh, as racist or, or, or in some other bad word. We're in a battle for on our side to be able to understand what the truth is, to see the truth, to spread it, to stand up for it. We have a problem, a huge problem in this country because the left does own a, seemingly a lot of the media outlets. People used to think 60 Minutes was your you know, source for truth or something. It's just a left-wing rag. It's like yellow journalism on television. It is a, when you see that editing, that is not just, hey, had to edit because we ran out of time, we had to make the clip shorter. It's deceptive and intentionally deceptive. So people like you who listen to my show, people involved in Standing Up for America, we have to be putting these kind of stories out there, correcting the record, telling our friends, if they say, oh, but Florida, you know, they, that Ron DeSantis, he's kind of crooked. No, actually he's not. We are up against an enemy that will use every single tactic imaginable to both encourage their ranks, their voting base, to be afraid of the conservative side, to be afraid of freedom, to be afraid of Republicans, afraid of conservatives, and to spread the message among their voters that there is that, you know, the, let, the conservatives are out to get you, so you really better stand with us, that they, you know, they're, they're irresponsible at very least, they are racist and xenophobic. The message of the left to their entire voting base and to all of America is they're supposed to be afraid of conservatives, afraid of the ideas of America, afraid of freedom. The goal on our side, the people who, and it's not even Republican versus Democrat or conservative versus liberal, it's about retaining America as the land of the free or giving up America and letting the tyrannical left take over. That is the battle we have. And the left has among the many weapons they have, some aspects of media like 60 Minutes that will go out of their way to deliberately misrepresent a governor like, who, like Governor DeSantis, who is showing America you can actually run a country, run a state. You can actually rely on freedom. You can actually be responsible and still uphold the concept, the idea of the freedom of the individual. That story, that editing, folks, that is not minor. That is not a, oh, oopsie, we probably should have included one more sentence he said. That is a, you know, we found a way to make him look bad and we're going to do it. Well, I'm past time, so I got to wrap up. I want to tell you very quickly, we had our very first members only show last Thursday. It was a home run. Um, I'll tell you more about that tomorrow. If you'd like to join and be able to watch our shows on Thursday, just go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, under the members tab on the homepage, hit join, follow the instructions. I'll go through that more tomorrow. But I need to wrap up today and tell you, as I do at the close of every show, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today. What it'll take to save America, why it matters. Different generational views cannot obscure the truth. Freedom in America, America under the Constitution, is dangerously at risk. 50 plus years, it took the left 50 plus years to get America to the precipice of socialism. America will not be saved overnight. The things I was telling at the very beginning of the show, Freedom and truth will prevail, but at what cost and over what amount of time? The essential for saving America, my three I talked about today, is courage, focus of your efforts, and tenacity. Courage, Democrat uh, media mob has mastered mockery of traditional American conservatism and patriotism. Speak up anyway and don't back down. Focus, patriots find your niche of subject matter and locale and act and stick with it. Tenacity, boycott, Delta, Coke, Major League Baseball, not for a week, but for as long as it takes till they recognize they have to, they have customers all across the political aisle in America, all across the political landscape, and they need to not turn half of them off. Of them off. Past American heroes didn't know how things would turn out. They just did the right thing because they knew it was the right thing. And that's what we need to do too. And Charles Barkley for president, <clears throat> he always had street savvy and had a no BS style of communicating. He achieved pop culture icon status for his analyst work, sports analysis, riff on Democrats and Republicans, deliberately fostering racial suspicion and division as an aid to acquiring and maintaining power is spot 
on. He is right. His riff is spot on. Acknowledgement that most white people and most black people are great people is both obvious and a stunning breath of fresh air within left-wing sports journalism. Charles Barkley spoke truth about America, and Americans loved it. Love it. Compared to AOC, vacuous video Twitter messages deliberately distorting and disguising truth. Will anyone speak truth about the tragic George Floyd, George Floyd case? Apart from a white officer and a black victim and legitimate questions about police methods, what exactly is the evidence of racism in what took place? And finally, what it'll take in the Polish-Canadian pastor. Weekend stories of police shutting down Easter services in the UK and Europe over COVID, yet video of Polish pastor in Calgary goes viral, kicking police out of his church. Read Thomas St. James. This is another thing we did in this conference over the weekend. Google this. Thomas St. James, The Common Sense of National Human Rights, Thomas Paine for 2021. When did Americans agree that government can shut down religious services? When did Americans agree that government has the right to define non-essential businesses and shut them down? The COVID quote, emergency ended long time ago. Government emergency power should end too. American men and women are to be free, responsible, self-governing adults. Americans must insist on their rights or they will be lost. And finally, we talked about fight like Ron, Governor DeSantis, the radical totalitarian left will always reveal who and what they fear most. Emerging American leaders who understand and defend freedom. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis now stands just below Donald Trump among American leaders most feared by the radical left, which is why hit pieces on DeSantis are proliferating. Um, you had 60 Minutes blatantly set up a false accusation of pay to play against DeSantis about his vaccine distribution using transparent editing. Their tactics are exposed as never before. DeSantis is now the standard bearer for an American patriot leader. Expect the leftist attacks to become more shrill and frequent. And that, my very fine friends, that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, or Monday through Wednesday for everyone, Thursday for members only at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can